why are we on this planet? It is not about the political points that we score. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how many views or clicks you get on Facebook. It is all about love. How do we treat each other, especially when it's hard? Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod County. We have got a great guest today, Lisa Blunt Rochester, Delaware's lone representative in Congress. I cannot tell you how long we've been trying to get her in here, uh, literally back to June when we first interviewed Ken Bolden. We have been working with her office to get her scheduled, and if you have been following national politics at all, you can understand why it has been hard to get her in here. We are really fortunate that we were able to get her in here before the holiday break, and that and, and it's such an important time in our nation's history to, to tell us a bit about her and about uh, how she sees the country and uh, her background. We also have a special guest. County Executive Matt Meyer joins us as a guest interviewer. So sit back and enjoy this interview with Lisa Blunt-Rochester. Congresswoman Lisa Blunt-Rochester, joining us on Pod County. You are the first national official that we've had. Really? We've had, yeah, we've been confined to the state to this point. So Really? Well, I'm honored. I'm excited to be here. You can add it to your list of firsts because exactly. you you're the first person of color, first woman, and, and ergo first woman of color to represent Delaware in Congress. Correct. That's correct. And now the first national official on Pod County. Wow. I, I tell you, this was on my bucket list. It Was it? Yeah. Yeah. When you heard about it, like exactly. probably a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, we also have County Executive Matt Meyer joining us for a guest appearance. We've, we've lost our intern, Sam. So we've got Matt. He's interning now. I think I'm the 16th county official to be on Pod County. <laughs> probably. We've only interviewed like historic, seven. So yeah. The historic eighth county official to be on <laughs> well done. Pod County. Well done. Uh, so Congresswoman. Was that on your bucket list as well? It, to be number eight, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, on his own, on his own it's podcast. Great. It's great being eight. It's great being eight, that's right. Yeah. So, Congresswoman, we just want to talk to you about what makes you you and unique and what, what makes you tick. So a little bit about your background. I know you come from a political family. Your, your, your father was on Wilmington City Council. Correct, correct. He was councilman of the first councilmatic district and then from there was elected to become the city council president. And how did that influence your your decision to get into it? Because you started back as an intern for then then Representative Carper. Correct, correct. That goes all the way back to 1987. So I think, you know, when I look back on it, I come from a family that has always been Um, whether it's civic or community involved, going back to, I was born in Philadelphia, but raised here in Delaware. So my grandparents, my grandmother and grandfather were big union leaders. They worked for a ball bearing plant in in, uh, Pennsylvania. My other grandmother was a nurse and they were just really involved in their community, but also in one grandmother was really involved in her church for, she was a member for maybe 60 years of the same church. Uh, so that, that whole spirit of that we're in it together and that we work together and that you have a responsibility to um, contribute is something that came even before my dad. And uh, when we moved to Delaware, we moved here, he got a job at the People Settlement Association in Wilmington. 
And it was like right after the riots, the year after the riots. And so it was a time both nationally and here in Delaware of, of struggle, of, of angst, of change. And that, I think, really was a foundation for us here in Delaware, was working in a nonprofit and just getting engaged. And then he went on to work in the education system for the Red Clay Consolidated School District. So, and even before that, another school district, and he worked for Head Start. So everything was about people and about community and about caring. So, yeah, you could say it's in the blood. It runs in the family. Okay. So when you're, you, you started at Villanova, but you transferred to Delaware. Correct. And when you're, when you're at Delaware, do you know, what, what do you want to do? What's in your mind? Like, the, this is what I want to be. Well, if I take a step back, I graduated from Padua. So woohoo, hey pandas out there, any pandas listening? Um, I graduated from Padua Academy and uh, then went to Villanova. But like many people, many young people, could not afford to stay. That's really why I left. It was an incredible school. Um, it was an incredible opportunity. I had made the dean's list but could not find money. And we were in this position, you know, when we lived in Philadelphia as a kid, you know, my dad was in grad school, was, we lived in the projects, worked his way up. He's like the first to graduate from his own family in first in high school and college. But I get into college and we're in this position where we don't make enough, but we don't make, you know, but we're not poor enough to qualify for certain things. And so I, I literally said, you know, I'm here eating a steak and my parents are eating hamburger helper. I, I, I can't in good conscience stay here. And um, I was fortunate that I was able to easily transfer to University of Delaware and my major and my credits transferred. I was an international relations major. And I always had this um, dream of world peace. Um, I thought I was going to go on to work at the United Nations and travel around the world and, 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 you know, meet people everywhere and ended up working for the county while I was in grad school for the summer youth program. I was a summer youth uh, coordinator while I was in college and jobs really was the theme. When I look back over my career, whether it was the summer youth program for the county, whether it was the first step employment and training program through the state, because uh, I was working for DHSS at one point, then later labor, and then head of state personnel. So jobs was this, this thread, but my vision was always about how do you help the world? How do we realize that we're connected and that when one of us hurts, we all hurt? whether it's here in our community or whether it's around the globe. So that was the, that was the intention. The intention was to go and try to like have peace, be a peacekeeper somewhere, you know, that was the goal. So if that's your goal, what is the future first African-American female congresswoman do right out of college? So right out of college, interestingly enough, before I got out of college, uh, I got married at the age of 20, which some people know that my dad has gray, whitish hair. That might have been the moment that it turned. Um, when I was 20, I decided to get married. And my husband at the time, uh, Alex, he was playing basketball. He played for the Knicks. Uh, he left, graduated from Villanova, then played for the Knicks, and then was assigned to go overseas to play. And so the first year of marriage, I lived in Italy. And then the next year, he was on a team in Spain and then France. And my son, Alex, 
Alex Theodore Bradley was born in France. And so all that time, I still just, I had promised my dad I would go, I would go back to school and I would graduate. And so I did graduate um, from Fairleigh Dickinson with a degree in international relations. And from there, ended up traveling, having a baby, and then coming back home and back to work. So... Yeah. That's not a that's not a bad way to spend college. You were all over the place. This this is true. Yeah. Yeah, Italy, Spain, France, and then Belgium. We yeah. we had we had Governor Markel on, and I need to get him back so we can take his picture so we can actually publish that podcast. But he talked a lot about traveling when he was young and it really kind of helped shape his his view of a lot of things. Uh how did it how did it really kind of influence you too? Oh man. Well, first of all, I I I love the world. I love understanding other cultures. I love to understand why do people think the way they think? Why do they feel the way they feel? And part of that is experiencing things, you know. And so I I think I've always been a very inquisitive person. But traveling, like, for example, the last country that I lived in before, you know, being home is China. And it has, I would say, profoundly impacted a few things for me. Number one, how I even see issues like immigration. When you are in another country and you might be there because a spouse got a job or which is what my case was. My second husband, Charles Rochester, was working in China when I met him. And when you're in another country and you can't read the language or speak the language and you're trying to navigate I I have a different perspective on people who come here and 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 really want to thrive and have a better way of life and you're just trying to live and I know how that feels to jump into a taxi and hope that what you're saying gets you to where you're trying to go or hope that you can connect, whether it's through text or technology, to make sure that the person can read where you're trying to go. Um, it, it is a just, it's just a different experience. And, and it also helps me from the perspective of, as we look at issues like trade or you know, our, our national security, I, having lived overseas, I recognize that sometimes we're trying to make policy decisions based on our values, our way of doing things, when that might not be the same intentions or the same way that other governments are looking at it. And so when you get to meet people, when you get to talk to families, like I I lived in the Middle East for three months through a USAID-funded project uh, in Jordan, and you see the things that we have in common, like... You know, you hear families complain, oh, the school system here is crazy, or, oh, how are we going to pay for this wedding? Well, those are the same discussions we have in our own country. So, number one, you get to find out the commonalities, but number two, you also get to understand uh, different values and different way of dealing with things, and that helps, to me, it helps us make better decisions here. Yeah, I think that exchange of ideas and culture is really important. My wife's Canadian. We've mm-hmm. been together. We uh, we started dating in high school, and then we got married right out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been going back. Where I leave on Thursday to go to her family's for for Christmas. And every year we go back, and every year I feel like more of the Canadianness rubs off. And then they always comment to her like, 
you know, you're starting to pick up that accent a uh-huh. little bit down there. And I'm, you know, I don't hear anything. And I, I hear a little bit on them. You know, West Coast isn't as bad. But right. um, but it, I think that's great. You know, the more that you spend that time around other people, the more you realize how similar you are. It kind of comes right. together. Right. One thing that's often said about uh, Congresswoman, maybe often in front of her, sometimes behind her back, is that y- your sister was the political one. If someone in your family was going to run, Everybody was was pegging Marlo. So that's so interesting. I'm glad you um, brought that up because Marla, you initially, you know, Kyle, you were mentioned about the family. Marla is my baby sister. There are three girls, and uh, Thea is the one in the middle. And so Marla is is definitely like the she's like a sage, you know, when it comes to politics. She's also a very she will pull no punches. She is just real. She's honest. She's and she's brilliant, you know. And and Thea is the middle sister who is quiet. And a lot of people don't know Thea, but if you've seen my billboards, if you've seen a shirt, if you've seen any of those things, Thea's the 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 visual creative. She's also an engineer, so she's left brain, right brain. And and so I think back as little girls, the three of us with my dad campaigning. Each of us had our things, our way of doing things, you know, like, you know, um, if, if we're out of a campaign and, and, and somebody starts to get real tense and there's tension, I'm the one that's like, well, let's all hold hands and, you know, come together, you know, and, and, and Marla's like, I'll, I'll take care of this. And Thea's like, you know, the one that's did all the groundwork. And so Marla, she is actually, she sees herself as less the person who runs and more as the person who can be that advisor, that confidant, that provide that wisdom and insight and ask you the questions that you might not have asked yourself. She also is a professor at Rutgers and she teaches at the School of Social Work. Uh, She has her master's in social work from Rutgers, my dad does, and so does my daughter. And her goal is is to raise an army of social workers. I mean, her vision is that Social work is macro and micro. It's that individual who needs help, but it's also that person who works in the governor's office. And so she has a vision, and we're, we're, we're blessed that she's executing on that vision. And as you know, Matt, Marla actually this year suffered a stroke at the age of 52, and her whole left side was paralyzed. And how she... I, I don't even know the word, the strength that she exhibited, the tenacity, the will, the drive to walk again, to lift her arm again, is just, it is such a marvel and an example. You know, it puts so many things into perspective to just even be able to have our family and have our friends. And uh, last month on her birthday, my son and I, with her, created a dance called the Stroke Strut. And so <laughs> there she is on Facebook with the physical therapist in the hospital and the OTPT, incredible people at Christiana Care, doing the Stroke Strut. She was able to dance. And, and so we are just blessed and grateful. And, yeah, Marla's a special person. So is Thea, in case she's listening. <laughs> Thea is, too. But uh, and it, now you made me have to mention my mother because <laughs> you can't leave anybody out. No, yeah. yeah, you got to mention mom. So mom's awesome as well, the hub of the family. That's so great, and it's great that you have that kind of tight network to kind of come back to yes. as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, it is. 
I mean, and that's Delaware, though. I mean, you you know, Matt, more than anybody, that coming home, always having Delaware as that base, that foundation. I could go somewhere for three weeks and come back, I'm home. I could go somewhere for college, I come back, I'm home. And uh, in 2014, unfortunately, uh, after the loss of my husband, Charles, I was fortunate that we always had our home here. And so the love and support from this community, from friends, from people I've worked with, and whether it's the county, the state, the, 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 the business community, there was just a lot of love. And uh, that's, that's, why, that's why I love Delaware. That's why I, I owe so much to so many here. When you come home, where's the first place you go to dinner? My mom's. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. It's the truth. My mom can cook. I mean, it's, a, it's the first place I go. But I, I like um, different types of restaurants for different things. Um, you know, I used to love to always go up on um, to Hollywood Grill on, you know, 202 for breakfast. Run into Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah. yeah or everybody. Yeah, or everybody, yeah. <laughs> There's so many people there. Um, my, my dad is a Libby's person, but, uh, but then I know people who are Cozy Corner people. Uh, you know, there's just so many uh, great restaurants up and down the state. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some... In, 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 you know, in Rehoboth and other places, we've got a lot of, lot of good eats around here. So I know Matt's answer. What's Matt's answer? Libby's. Libby's? You're a Libby's person? No, I'm it's a Libby's not. person. No, yeah. it's not. I used to go every Friday. Really? Really? Yeah. I would, that, I would, that was not what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say? There's a, there's a restaurant on, what is it? Uh, is it Union or Lincoln? Union Street. Yeah, Union yeah, Street. It's Cozy Corner? No. no. Or, oh, oh a restaurant. Street, yeah. Thai food. Thai food, yeah. Yeah. Just Bangkok. hole in the wall. Yeah. Bangkok Thai. Oh. He is there. It's like his spot. Do I need to try that? It's best Thai food, including food in Thailand, I think. Is that right? I think, I think it's quite good. Oh, wow. That's all about that place. That's a challenge. You're going to have to take me. <laughs> I got I to gotta check it out. You heard it. You heard it here first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we, I was going was gonna, to um, get to your husband. Uh, we kind of jumped ahead, but we can, let's, mm-hmm. let's get there. That was sudden, tragic, yes. out, of, yeah. out of nowhere. Uh, what, yeah. what happened there? Yeah, so, um, so Charles, my late husband, he, incredible, incredible, smart, brilliant, funny, um, sexy, cool guy who I met later in life, uh, actually at the age of 42. Both of us were 42, and... Uh, we ended up getting married. I ended up selling my house, my car, put my daughter in college, and I moved to China for love and got a chance to write a book while I was there and just really experience another culture, but really get to experience a very deep love. And um, Charles, when we moved back to the States after his assignment was through working for this French electrical manufacturing company, we moved back and he went on a business trip. And because he was just a very health conscious person, I mean, he was a vegetarian, worked out every day. Before his business meeting, he, the, the people that were meeting played a game of basketball and he ruptured his Achilles tendon. And throughout the course of a few weeks, blood clots were traveling to his heart and lungs. And he had just started back to work and I had gone back to work. And uh, actually he was still home. And he called me and he said, I'm feeling really tired. And uh, I'll never forget, it was the end of the day, around five o'clock on, on Monday. And he said, I'm feeling really tired. And I said, well, just 
sit down, I'm going to call 911, and I'm going to just tell them to break down the door because he lived up these flight, this flight of stairs. While they were coming, he stayed on the phone, and he was just telling them, you know, make sure you tell my wife where you're taking me. And that was really the last time we talked mm. because I got to... I got to the hospital that they said, and he wasn't there. Oh, God. And then I called to the ambulance to try to find him, but they weren't allowed to tell me. And they said, if you guess the hospital, we can, we can tell, confirm it. This was up in Boston. We were living in the Boston area, and I didn't know the hospitals. And so it was the most frustrating thing. So when finally the person just told me, and I stopped at the next hospital, but it wasn't that hospital. So I ended up going to three different places. And when I finally got in the waiting room, the nurses just said, we need to take you back into this smaller room. And that's when I knew something was wrong because you don't, you know, they informed me that because of these blood clots, if they give him medication, he can either bleed to death or he will clot to death. And that I could go in and say um, my goodbyes. And because the doctor was working so hard that she couldn't stop trying to resuscitate him, which is why they changed the hospital, mm. because the level of care that he needed was so much greater that they took him to uh, Beth Israel and uh, uh, ultimately. And when I went in there, um, I'll never forget it because they were trying to resuscitate him. And I just kept saying to him don't go you know don't go and and he opened his eyes mm. and like I could see that he was trying to come you know felt like he was trying to come back and they stopped they didn't need to resuscitate him anymore and they put ice packs on him and then they said let's transfer him they said he was gone and they don't even know how he came back but I was so grateful because he held on for three more days, two, two days after that. And it gave a chance for family and people to come. And it was life-changing for me because he was such a special person, just humble and kind and smart. But, like, n you wouldn't... He never put on airs or anything like that. And... Um, maybe because of his humble upbringing in, in Maryland. It was just, I never forget that last, I was just telling somebody earlier today, there was a movie called This Is Where I Leave You. It was about a family that sat Shiva. We had seen that movie the night before. And a few weeks before that, we had talked about, well, you know, he was going on his hospital treatments for the, for the, the Achilles tendon. And I remember saying, well, when I die, just sprinkle me in the in acetate in the beach. And, and I said, what do you want? And he said, he said, what do you want? Because I won't be there. And we talked about baptism, and he had never been baptized before. And he said, um, he asked me if I had, and I was like, yeah, I've been baptized at Canaan. <laughs> I've been baptized, <laughs> like four churches I had been baptized and had even been to the Jordan, River Jordan. And... Um, and so when he was in that hospital room, um, the, the chaplain, they were able to get me holy water. And 
I pulled people around the bed. And I had one, one coworker who, she said, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm lighting candles in churches. And another coworker who was like, I'm atheist, but I found this, this metal, this, this coin that was like a, it was a scripture and she gave it to me. And there were just people praying all over the world. And when, when it was just the two of us at the end, I played this song that was my song for him and his song for me, which my song was Beautiful Surprise by India Ivory because he was a surprise in my life. And his song for me was this song called Heaven by Kim. And um, I just asked, why, God, why did this happen? Why, why, why are we even here? And I always share this because I think it's, it's pivotal. It was just clearly in my spirit that we're just here to love. Charles loved, and he, he, he was loved. And in these times in particular, we have to remember, why are we on this planet? It is not about the political points that we score. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how many views or clicks you get on Facebook. It is all about love. How do we treat each other, especially when it's hard? It's easy to be loving when it's easy. It's hard to be loving when it's not. And so in this moment, you know, I when I decided to step up and, and, and do this, to run the first time, having never run for anything in my life, it was on the anniversary of his passing. And it was with the knowledge that I don't, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. Um, even though my dad had run, it was for local offices. And this is a totally different thing running in Kent, Sussex, and Newcastle. It's a, in Wilmington, it's a totally different thing. And, um, and I looked back and realized I was running while I was mourning. But people's stories inspired me. And that's what still inspires me, hearing other people's stories. And um, so I, I feel blessed that I had that kind of love. I know that it is just an example of what's possible in terms of really being present. That's why even talking about my sister Marla, like to, to the miracle that she was able to, to recover to the extent that she has from this stroke is a blessing. It is, it is incredible. And so we just gotta remember what really matters. 2020 is coming. See clearly what really matters. Yeah, there's a lot you can say about love or compassion or hope or, or any number of positive adjectives in, in the 2020 election and yeah, yeah, what we currently are, are devoid of uh, in certain areas. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, that was kind of where I was going to go after that. Uh, I know a lot of people, when they, when they suffer a loss like that, it's, mm -hmm. it's tough to, how do I go on, right? right. Where, where's, and, and a lot of people will, whether consciously or subconsciously, kind of throw themselves into a thing, right? Because right? then I can at least hold on to this. Right. Did that kind of precipitate the, the run for Congress? You know, it's funny, after, it took a whole year for me to even think of something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I remember just trying to figure out how do I have my heart stop hurting so much, you know? 
to anybody who is going through something, whether it's a loss of a job or a, 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 a loved one, the getting up in the morning and getting dressed and even getting out becomes a, 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 a measure of, 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 of wellness, so to speak. Um, like I was just, some, in the beginning, I was just happy that I, I, I would get up and get dressed. And then I'm searching, I'm reading books. How do I deal with grief? I'm, I'm, I'm going to my doctor. I'm going to my pastor. I'm going to, I even went to the county for horseback riding at Brandywine State Park. And because it was therapeutic for me, I never even did that before, but I felt like, you know what, I need to do something that I got to focus on that. Because if, if I don't pay attention, I can't be all in my thoughts and all in my sadness. I could fall off this horse. I better focus. And so I tried all these different things. I even for my birthday, which was months later, I didn't want to party. I didn't want to be with people. I went to Iceland by myself because it was dark and I was dark. And I was like, I just need to be alone. But while I was there, I met this girl. I, I went into the church. There's this really beautiful, massive church there. I, for, I can't speak Icelandic. so I think, I can, I think it's in Reykjavik. Or yes, something. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely in Reykjavik. And that's where I landed. And it was really early in the morning. It was really cold. I didn't have anything to do. They wouldn't let me check in yet. So I'm walking around, and I hear the bells, and I go into the church. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm in church. I had not been in church since he died. And part of it was my grief and my anger and my all those emotions. And it was like, you know, it took me to fly to Reykjavik to go back to a church. And even though I couldn't understand the language, I could understand them singing praise God from whom all blessings flow in Icelandic. And it was and I met a young woman in that church and she talked about sometimes it's like when silver is when 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 the silversmith is making silver, they gotta heat it really hot so that the impurities will rise out of it, and that you know the silversmith knows it's done because he can see his reflection in it. And she said, "You're being heated up right now. You're going through something to help purify you, and when it's done, you know something will come. Something positive will come out of it." and and it wasn't until that whole year later, and almost a year later in August, when I ran into this family in the supermarket, a dad and three kids, and he had to put back a bunch of grapes because they were $9. And I said, you know what? I'm blessed. I'm okay. He had a will. He, he, we lived. We loved. I, I have a house. I'm okay. But a lot of other people aren't. And I had gone to a Coalition of 100 Black Women meeting. And in that meeting, they were talking about all the disparities, the health disparities. And I was like, I've been really fortunate to have had all these experiences. I can still serve. I'm still alive. And it was, the, like I said, the anniversary of his passing that I decided to run. So I think it wasn't really, this year was the, marks the fifth anniversary. And I remember when, when he died, in the hospital, I got a call from Joe Biden, which is funny. I got a lot of calls from really, and here I am in Massachusetts, and people from Delaware are, are finding me and calling me. But he said this line that never went away, and it really came clear this year. He said, there will come a time when the mention of your loved one's name will bring a smile to your face before it brings a tear to your eye. 
And he said, I promise you, I promise you. And being of service has helped me to really heal. You know, that's, that's why a lot of people will see me and they're like, all that stuff going on in Washington, how is it that you're still smiling? I'm, I'm glad to, to be of service. I'm glad to be on the battlefield. I'm glad to, I just feel like this job, if you want to call it, has brought my joy back. And so it's not a, it's not an easy thing and it's not a just throw yourself into it. For different people, I guess they, everybody heals differently. I had to go through my, my furnace moment, you know, my, I had to like, and, 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 and it happens in all of our lives in different ways. So yeah, it wasn't an automatic, hey, I'm going to run. It was, it was prayer. It was like, what, what do I need? What, why am I still here? And how can I make a difference? I remember, so at the time that you won, I worked for the News Journal, and I can remember being there covering the the party at the uh-huh. Doubletree, right? And then yeah. you won, the night Matt won. Yeah. It was a great, great couple hours for everybody, yeah. right? Everybody's having a good time. And then the election results started coming in. I can remember standing next to Governor Markell, and it was starting to really not look good for Democrats at that point. And I remember looking at him and, and just, you know, say, like, okay, he's he's going to know, right? He knows more. You know, hey, um, how how do you how are you feeling it? And he just looked at me. And he goes, "Not good." Yeah. And that was really when it kind of hit me. I'm like, you know, if he's he's not feeling, if he's that in that point, this is bad. How coming from that big high of like, oh my god, I've done this, right, to that crushing reality of like uh, the worst fears have happened, and I have to go into this. How did you cope with that? You know, it's interesting because as you said, it was a it was for me, a bittersweet night because I had, you know, I'm sitting there writing my, my speech, trying to, either way, trying to be prepared. And in there, there, I thought, you know, not only would I be the first congresswoman, that we would also have the first woman president. That's what the thought was. And as you said, as the night went on, um, things changed and you could see the mood of other people. I mean, Matt, I mean, you talk about your mood that night. Yeah, I think I think it was a strange night for both of us because it's a time where we work tremendously hard. Yeah. This is sort of the culmination, and it's obviously very personally happy, happy for right. family, happy for a community, a strong sense of mission that we have tremendous work to do. And then you look up at the TV screen, everything's turning red. Yes. And not just red and like old school red, but a new kind of red that we didn't completely understand what was happening in our country. And so it was a little scary. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think I also wasn't sure. I was shocked. I was more shocked because I can't remember what word you used. It was you you guys were mentioning it being scary. I don't think I felt as much scared as in shock. I didn't expect that outcome. And I also, having watched the election leading up to it and watching how it was playing out, you know, the, the rhetoric and the different things, I, I asked myself, you know, was the president the person that we thought he was from back when he was doing The Apprentice? Or is this the president uh, that was, you know, coming down the escalator talking about immigrants? Or was this who... I wasn't really sure who um, he would or how he would operate. Is this so, an actor? Is this the real guy, right? Yeah, yeah, or just 
and not even in acting, but just, you know, sometimes at different phases of people's lives, they they have different priorities or they are, have different, they're different. And I just wasn't really sure what to expect. So, you know, it was, I didn't go in like, oh boy, I went in like, hmm, okay. And I think even Hillary Clinton herself said, you know, and, and Barack and others that you've got to give give the president a chance. This person's elected, and um, it was a peaceful transfer of power, which is one of the things that was really important for, that's an important thing for our country. And so I didn't, didn't really have an, I wasn't really sure what to expect, to be honest with you. Uh, I can remember then, not, it wasn't very long after, because then uh, I wasn't at the News Journal a whole lot longer after that, but I remember going down to then cover the Women's March, and do you... Yes. We, I ran into Senator Coons and his daughter there. Yes. I'm sure you were there. Yes, I was there with, actually, with my sister Marla and her daughter Hannah. Yeah, the three of us were there together. What was it like seeing, because I can remember being in that crowd and not being able to move, right? You got yes. to a point like you just get stuck somewhere. You're like, well, I'm here for the next hour. Yes. Um, what was it like seeing that response? It was incredible. And I, and I think, to me, one of the big takeaways from this moment is that I have never in my life seen this kind of civic participation, civic engagement, and from all different ages and backgrounds, uh, uh, you know, and I, and I, my hope is that people will stay as motivated for their country as they were that day. And because what, what people and I and I say this a lot of times I've talked to like college students and others that you know sometimes if if a vote didn't go the way they thought it was going to go or the like uh, the uh, the confirmation of uh, um, you know Chief Justice Kavanaugh it, they're like well see it doesn't work and it's like no you, you, this is in this is for the long haul you know I I got a chance to go to um, uh, Alabama with. Congressman John Lewis to Selma, Birmingham, and Montgomery, and to stand on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you know, and, and think back of all of those civil rights workers and young people and from all different backgrounds, that they, it was not a sprint. It, it didn't happen just in one month or one year. And so my hope is that people who are engaged, no matter what you think or believe, stay engaged and stay, you know, stay on the battlefield for your country and stay in it. That, that gets me excited. That gets me excited. Matt, you might remember, I think it was last year, my mantra was, I'm not frustrated, I'm motivated, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think that we have to, we have to each do our part. Just do your part. Legislatively, uh, the Democrats got the House back in 2018, so that put you in a position that uh, Governor Carney, I don't think, ever was in, where his party was in the majority, so you have some, some ability to move legislation forward. Right. What have you been able to work on that you've, you've been excited about since you've been in? Well, you know, coming from um, Delaware, knowing that we only have one congressperson, you better have good connections and friends and really established partnerships and relationships. And so even in the minority, um, we were able to get a couple pieces of legislation, you know, passed into law. One was a coastal mapping bill that started in 
Sussex County from a constituent who said, hey, listen, the way these maps are drawn nationally, we get cut out for flood insurance and things like that. And so part of our goal, I, I and one of my Republican co colleagues from Florida co-sponsored that bill together that actually made it through. So we have you know, a couple things that we were able to do even in the minority based on building relationships. Um, now, in the majority, I, um, in the first term, I was able to be on the Agriculture Committee, which Delaware, as big as agriculture is for our state, we never in 120 years haven't had a person on the Ag Committee. So in last term, I was able to be there for the Farm Bill. And that was really important, important to our farmers, but also our biotech firms and, and others and, and those who are on SNAP. Um, it was important to be at the table because 87% of that budget, or 88, is SNAP. Yeah, right. People always forget that like food insurance programs are in the That's farm right. bill. It like doesn't you don't think about that. That's right. That's exactly right. So I was at the table for the the passage of that uh, major five year reauthorization. This year, though, I got on the Energy and Commerce Committee, which is an exclusive committee. If you're on it, you can only be on that one committee. And it is actually the late John Dingle, our former chairman, said, if it moves its energy, if it stays still as commerce, we control everything. <laughs> and uh, I'm on four of the six subcommittees. I'm on the health subcommittee. So just last week, I was able to be the speaker for the Democrats for our major bill, H.R. 3, which is the Lowering Prescription Drug Prices Now Act, um, the Elijah E. Cummings Lower Prescription Drug Prices, um, I got to be the one to give the floor speech to my Democratic and Republican colleagues and have a bill within that bill for seniors on Medicare to expand services for them. Um, we get to work on Clean Slate, which is a bill that's a criminal justice bill that I'm doing in a bipartisan way with a colleague of mine from Pennsylvania, Guy Rushenthaler, and it's for those people who have had a low-level, nonviolent offense. They've served their time. They're trying to reintegrate back in, you know, into the community, into society, but they can't get a job. They can't get a house or a loan because they have this record. So this was sealed their record, particularly like marijuana charges and things like that. People want to move on with their lives, and they need a clean slate. So that's moving along. And then I'm on the I mentioned health subcommittee. I'm on the Environment and Climate Change Subcommittee, which is big for Delaware. Yeah, huge. It, I mean, everything from our beaches to our environmental justice, you know, communities, it is a big issue for us. Then I'm on the Energy Subcommittee, Consumer Protection, and Commerce as well. So this committee, there is so much that's going on, and we try to do things in a bipartisan way. There's not always bipartisan. Right now, we have a lot of bills that are sitting in the Senate that we are just waiting for them to pass. Sure. On, Everything from guns, as you know, to, you know, the dreamers. You know, it's kind of in, in county government, I joke that there are two parties, the people that agree with me on this issue and the people that don't agree with me. on. There's not really, you know, when you're working on sewers and you're working right. on police and paramedics, there aren't that many Republican and Democratic issues. Right. How do you decide, when, you know, there's this whole debate now within the Democratic Party about when, when should we be fighting and when should we be compromising? And I imagine that's something you're dealing with just about every day. Right. You know, I think you have to start, or at least I try to start from a place of common ground. Like, where is the common ground and where can we compromise? Right now, we're in the middle of a, of a compromise working with leadership in the Senate and in the House, um, Democrats and Republicans, on safe drinking water. And this whole issue of PFAS and PFOA, you know, this is a big issue. And so, this contaminated water. So, I'm 
you know, with Senator Carper, we have been working across the across the aisle. And um, but then there are times, for example, like on on um, on like for the Dreamers, immigration used to be a bipartisan issue. And right now, because of the tone, the tenor, the rhetoric that's out there, it has become politicized. And that, to me, is one you, you, you have to say to yourself, these young people, these dreamers who have, you know, they contribute to our country. They are, we have about 50 or so at Delaware State University. These are good students. They serve in our military. We need to stand up. And so I think you, on the areas where you can, that's where you start. You start by compromise. You try to work together. But then there are going to be areas where I might not agree with you. That doesn't mean I have to be disrespectful. That doesn't mean I have to put you down. But we still have to stand up. The climate, you know. I mean, one of the uh, a thing of hope that I just shared with some students earlier today is that one of my colleagues, Buddy Carter, in the on the um, Republican side, actually a couple weeks ago, we were having a hearing, and he acknowledged that climate change is real and that the United States needs to be a leader. So I like stopped the hearing and said, please, everybody pay attention. We got some, we, you just heard it here, that there is an agreement that this is real, it's impacting us, and that we need to be a leader. And so, you know, part of it is, is, is about establishing those relationships with people so that when you do work on the hard stuff, you know, you can try to find that common ground. It's not always going to work. Yeah, I would say probably the hardest stuff is coming in two days. The House is going to take a fairly historic vote. When we, certainly when we've been trying to schedule this for a while, I don't think we had any idea you'd come in two days before this. Right. You know, I, I think you're already on record is where, where you stand. Uh, and I think we probably know what's going to happen in the Senate. But how, let's say, you know, we're, we're done this in January, this mm -hmm. trial's over. How do we move on as a nation? How do we get back to that point of love and hope? At a point right now where we can't even seem to get two sides to agree on basic events that occurred. Right. I mean, well, you know, a lot of times I'll even say to audiences, like we've had, I call, we call them congressional conversations. Some people call them town halls in each county. And I've even said to people, you know, even if you take a minute when you're in the morning getting dressed and you're watching whatever you watch, turn the channel for five minutes. You know, I watch Fox, MSNBC, CNN, and some, a lot of times CNBC, because I want to hear the different perspectives. You might not agree with them, but at least when you walk into a room, whether it's at work or at the family table at Thanksgiving, you'll understand why are people seeing this so much differently than I am. It's because they really are seeing it differently than you are. So first of all, it's trying to seek to understand each other. It's, it's coming to an agreement that we might not always agree, but we can be respectful. I think that's important. I think as leaders, we need to model it. A lot of times people don't hear about the work that we're doing together. They don't see the fact that we just passed a bill that included paid family and medical leave for federal workers. That's the beginning of doing something nationally that has been talked about for decades. Nobody has even seen that. There are things, apprenticeship dollars that, that we have come together on and said, we got to make sure that we're looking at the future of work. I have a bipartisan caucus that will be kicked off in January. Is Democrats and Republicans saying that 
what's happening now with automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, these things are affecting how we work, how we live, whether people will have benefits. I mean, we're used to a certain social safety net for retirement and for health care and things like that. What happens in a gig economy? So these are the conversations that we need to be having as a country. We need to be saying, where do we need to come together? To me, we're not agrarian solely like we used to. We're not manufacturing solely. We are in a tech age where the technology is moving faster than the policy and the people. And if we don't come together, this will hurt our competitive edge with other countries. China has said that they will uh, be on par with us for artificial intelligence by 2025 and outpace us by 2030. So from a competitive standpoint, from a national security standpoint, from an economic standpoint, and from a justice standpoint, think about how technology, I, I got a study done got recently that showed out of the 10 top jobs that African-Americans hold, six are at risk from automation. Mm. This, to me, is an issue where we can come together and where we need to be having a North Star. Where are we going? How do we get there? And how do we do it in an aspirational way instead of a, oh, my God, we're doomed? No, let's take advantage of it. Let's lean in and let's work together. Yeah, I, think, I always think it's crazy how much automation gets left out of the jobs conversation, right? It's not yeah. just that, like, you know, coal jobs went away because coal got hurt. Coal jobs went away because a lot of it got automated. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Even when we're having conversations about immigration, some of these conversations are really about automation. Where did, where did these jobs go? The other reality is we have a country where our birth rate is going down, our population is aging. We don't even have uh, the, the number of workers that we really need in, in, in multiple areas of, of our society. And so... The conversations there also need to be saying, okay, where do we have some common ground here that we can do something to make sure that, again, we're strong and that we, we, we don't fall behind? I know you talk a lot about the, like, the jobs versus openings thing. Like, we've got all these people, and we've got more people. Yeah, looking 7 million, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics, 7 million open job opportunities. And I think the projections are it's going to go up to 10 million over the next few mm -hmm. years. And there are 6 million people looking for jobs, which is particularly interesting because if you listen to political commentators, there's all this dislocation and dissatisfaction yeah. at, a, at a time when unemployment is so low. Usually, you know, historically, it means everybody's happy, uh, but, but people are, are not, by and large. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're, they're still unfulfilled in terms of the health care they're getting mm -hmm. for their families in terms of the wages that they're earning. Like mm -hmm. if, you're, if your job is an Uber driver at night and delivering a newspaper, if those still exist during, mm -hmm. during the day, right? Or whatever, you know, you, you're working a couple jobs, you don't have healthcare for your family, it's mm -hmm. constant stress. What do they say? Right. M most Americans, if they have a bill, sudden bill, emergency mm -hmm. bill, larger than a couple Fortnite. thousand dollars, yeah. then they can't, they can't make ends meet. Yeah. Uh, and I think so it's as low as 400 $400? Yeah. yeah. Like then what do you... Uh, you know, what do you do? So I don't know. These are challenges. These are challenges that we need to take exactly, on. Exactly. Exactly. And even the unemployment rate is so deceptive because it's the that participation rate. You got people who are underemployed. You've got people who just gave up and stopped going for unemployment insurance. You know, but I want to, before my time runs out, I want to salute you, Matt, because you too, like, stepped in decided to be of service 
at a really important time, not just in our country, but in our state and in our county. And, you know, the fact that you bring, you know, every time I go into an event with Matt, either he's going to speak the language from another <laughs> culture, he's going to Accurate. know how to dance, whatever dance they do. Accurate. He's going to know how, what the kids grew up learning. And, and not only that, but your own experience outside of this country that you bring to the table. Um, you know, you, you have done a phenomenal job and, and, and we're just glad to be able to work with you. Um, we want to continue to work with you on things as they come up. And, you know, if there are resources that we can try to bring to bear to the county, we want to do that. Uh, we're working on that sewer. I would say, did you get to go in the sewer pipe? <laughs> did I get to go? Yeah. That sounds really weird. Did I, mean, I get yeah, to? Yeah, we're working did on you? No, not yet. Oh, you okay, invited. okay. We're all right, all right. We're working right. on getting you down the sewer pipe. To don't, see don't. You. Oh, go yeah. down in yeah. the sewer pipe. No, no, no. no. Did okay. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't accept oh. the invitation to the headworks, though. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a trap. Oh, really? The, tree, go, the, I, the Wilmington Wastewater Treatment Plant. I had to go home and shower. Really? It, I smelled so bad. Oh, after. Man. Don't go. Yeah, Don't I'm, go there. But the, but the pipe's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm really sensitive with my nose. Yeah, so. okay. <laughs> I don't uh, mind dirt. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sensitive with it. It's with, more than dirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, well, on that note... Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Is there anything you want to you want to add before you before you go? No, just thank you so much for doing this, and and you know, we just encourage people to stay engaged, stay involved, and stay hopeful, and and keep loving. Awesome. Thank you, Congresswoman. Thank you. Okay, so Lisa Blunt Rochester in here in the studio. We just wrapped up. Now it's time for the fact check, the recap, the making sure we didn't put falsehoods out into the into the universe. Um, and actually, Matt, you had you said more facts than she said in this. Oh, what did I say? You said that. Well, the first thing first thing we should clear up is that church in Iceland, and I'm curious if you can pronounce. I've written it down, the name of the church. Can you pronounce it? <laughs> Halgrimskircha. Halgrimskircha. Uh, now I, I wrote down the phonetic okay. pronunciation. Okay. This is a test. And it's... This should be our... Halgrimskircha. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is that... Did you, what name did you say on the air? We didn't say anything. She's okay. like, I know it's called something. I can't remember. So Halgrimskircha. That is how I got. I had to look up a video of someone pronouncing that word. But that's the name of that church. In, you had uh, to watch a video. I did. I was like, I looked at it and I'm like, how do you say that? That is, yeah, H A L L G R I M S K I R K J A. Okay, now we got. Do you ever watch Sniglets? You're probably too young. I am for definitely Sniglets. too young for that. You don't know, not necessarily the news. No. It was like so. There was Saturday Night Live when we were a kid, and then HBO <clears throat> created an alternative that was a little edgier called Not Necessarily the News, and they had a little short on that called Sniglets, where you, they would uh, create a word for something that's not really a word, like the, for which there's no word. Like they had something for the, I think the ends of your... Uh, of oh, your shoelaces. shoelaces. Yeah. Just like different stuff. The guy who does whatever. You know, the guy in the park who you think is a creepy man, but turns out to just be a nice guy is a... Shumafleifen, or whatever. They would just create words. Yeah, and so, yeah, it does sound like that. 
most of the Icelandic language kind of sounds like that. You're just making yeah. things up. That's yeah. not. I yeah. should look up Snigler. I should because <laughs> me and my brother would then try and incorporate them. We try to have them go mainstream and use them in everyday yeah. conversation. Yeah. Uh, you said that there's 7.6 million open jobs and six million people. Oh, looking it should for be jobs. seven million open jobs. Or I think I think you said seven million open jobs. It's uh, according to a CBS News article from March. It's seven point six million open jobs and about a million. That's about a million more than people the, looking. Okay. So yeah, you're you're right. You're you're factually close to right. Seven point six is technically eight if you're rounding. But yeah. yeah, close enough. And then uh, I'm glad you fact check that. I did. Yeah, I, yeah. I fact. This is what I do. Go, I fact go, go, to make go. sure we're not lying out here. Uh, and then the you guys were trying to figure out how much money. The and average. That's, by the way, I'm almost sure that comes from the U.S. Bureau of Labor. Statistics. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Uh, and then, the the how much money can a, a family afford to? Oh yeah. yeah the, the, the emergency bill. Um, I said thousands, and she said it's four hundred. Yeah. So forty percent of Americans can't afford four hundred dollars in emergency debt. That's a study from that's incredible. Um, Boston College. That's incredible. Isn't it? It's can you? Could I? Yeah. Probably. Because when I hear it, I assume that. Uh, yeah, I mean we have four hundred dollars a month. We have that in savings. I could I could eat it. Because four hundred dollars is like I've faced four hundred dollars. Like the boiler goes out, or I need a washer and dryer. Sure. Right? Yeah. So I mean, it can now. I could. I definitely couldn't at yeah, like right. when I was younger, sure, sure. five six years ago. Probably couldn't. Have. It would have kicked my butt. Yeah. So um. So yeah, I mean, those are the facts that we talked about. Obviously, the one thing we didn't really get into is what's happening right now. The impeachment debate. We kind of. Kind of touched on it, but it's not a one to be that. Yeah, and that's and that's really it. We didn't want this to be about pro Trump, -Trump. right? Yeah, Yeah. this is about it was about the congresswoman, whatever. But that is happening right now. And actually, I looked up the previous votes because I was curious: would she be the first Delaware representative to vote for uh, an article of impeachment? And cast, I imagine they did not vote for it. But so uh, I think it was John Nicholson was the representative during. Uh, Johnson's trial or impeachment and trial. Uh, he did not vote for any of the articles. I think there were like eleven against, and I didn't see him as voting. I looked up the roll. And call. it passed, right? It did pass. He was the first to get impeached. He was the first to be impeached. Correct. First president. Castle did vote for one of the articles, one of the four against Clinton. Oh, he's one of these. He split it. He voted for one and voted no on the other three. That's really interesting. So yeah, so Lisa Blunt Rochester will not be the first to vote for there. articles, although she may be the first to vote for more than one at once. I don't know. We want to throw one more first in there. <laughs> so that's the uh, that's that's the fact check wrap up. Uh, we're we're good. Thank you for for coming on and being our Wait, number three. Is, we're doing this is yeah. <laughs> Th- this is all being recorded right now. Not, that's why you hear it in your headphones. I, I did not realize that. Yeah. So Sam and I usually do this, but Sam's gone. So now you were on I the see, podcast. So we're doing the fact check to see uh, what are the facts. I don't. We didn't really talk about any other facts. Did that's you did you really go to Iceland? Have you seen? The that's plane true. Tickets? I should have I should have dug deeper. I, ass, <laughs> I assume she's not lying to us about that. But at least statements of these things are things like the numbers that I can verify. We we checked out. Good. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us, and catch us again next time on podcast.